Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you all sat nice and close together. It's fantastic. Next Sunday, we're going to be looking at Palm Sunday, the crucifixion, and the following Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. So those are great services to invite people along that you've been investing in spiritually, people that may not normally go to church, but you'd love for them to hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond to it. Today, I'm going to ask you to take your minds out of an air-conditioned room which is 73.9 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, says at the back, uh, in Wheaton to the hot Middle Eastern sun. Uh, 3,000 years ago, that may be harder to imagine, but imagine in the baking heat. And today I'm going to be teaching on Psalm 23. Uh, it's a very, very famous psalm. Uh, whether you're a believer or not, people have it read at funerals. It is Uh, by many people, one of the greatest bits of poetry ever written. And the more you read it, the kind of the richer it gets. There's three different interpretations on this psalm. The first one, which is the one I'm going to be teaching on, is it's verses 1 to 6, all about a shepherd and the sheep. There's another interpretation which says, yeah, verses 1 to 3 about a shepherd and a sheep, and verses 4 to 6 are about a host and a dinner guest. Uh, that's probably the more popular one. And the least popular but still a relevant interpretation is verses 1 and 2 about a shepherd and a sheep. Verses 3 and 4 about a guide and a traveler. And verses 5 and 6 about a host and a dinner guest. The main point of Psalm 23 is trusting the shepherd as in God. The Bible has over six hundred references to sheep, shepherds, flocks. So it's very, very important to God. Uh, Before I read Psalm 23, I'm just going to pray. So will you bow your heads? Father God, you are the great shepherd. Lord, this psalm which you wrote through King David 3,000 years today just resonates in our souls today as much as it did 3,000 years ago, Lord. Father, this is a psalm that has brought great comfort to many people. Father, I pray that uh, each one of us here has a different situation going on in our lives, Lord, uh, different uh, circumstances. Father, I pray that by the end of this message, we'd have a greater view of you and how we can trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read the whole psalm, and I'm actually going to go verse by verse through it. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whichever translation you look at for this psalm, I'm teaching from the ESV, the NIV is also a really good translation. Underneath Psalm 23, it says, a psalm of David. 
Now, normally, we could just skip right over that and say, okay, he wrote it, what's it say? It's key that we understand it was from David. David is a complex, complicated human being, just like each one of us. I mean, as a king, when he was writing this, he was the greatest king of Israel. He was an able ruler. He had vanquished his enemies. He was a devoted friend of Jonathan. He was a lover of music. And yet, even at the same time, of all of those positive qualities, King David was a fugitive. He was a voyeur. He was an adulterer, a murderer. He was a broken man. As a father, he had watched his newborn child, which he had with Bathsheba, die. And he cries out to God in mourning. And he wept when his favorite son, Absalom, was killed in battle when he was having a rebellion against his father. This is a complicated man. And he's also described as a man after God's own heart. So as we read this psalm, this isn't some kind of hallmark, make yourself feel better kind of psalm. This is a psalm written by a man who had lived life to the max and had been forgiven much. And it is an honest testimony about God. I want you to imagine yourself as David. He is a king in Jerusalem. He's in the palace in Jerusalem. All the fineries are around him. And he sat in a thick chair in front of his desk, and he's just reminiscing on his life. He's in the twilight years of his age. And as he's reminiscing on his life, memory takes him by the hand and takes him back down memory lane. And he remembers when he was just a shepherd under that cool blue Mediterranean sky. Remembers as a shepherd and how he cared for his sheep, how he led them, and how he protected them from danger. And he's reflecting on this. He writes the start of this psalm, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is actually Yahweh. Yahweh uh, was so special, still is like the king of the universe. But for Israelites, they didn't even say his name in public readings. They had a lesser way of saying it. Instead of saying Yahweh, they would say the Lord. So this is the king of the universe who inhabits eternity. The great I am, the Lord. And then follows it is my shepherd. My is critical. It's not just the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Here's King David saying that God is a personal God who related to him and to us as individuals. And how do we know if he's our shepherd? Can we agree with David? Well, Jesus himself uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 27, he's talking about himself being a sheep, uh, sorry, a shepherd. He says this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So it's a twofold test if the Lord, the king of the universe, is your shepherd. First one is we listen to his voice. Second one is we follow him, we obey him. 
So we listen to God's commands and we obey them. And so the key for understanding the whole of this psalm is David is writing from the viewpoint of a sheep. Remembering what it was like himself to be a shepherd and how he cared for his sheep. He's writing from a viewpoint of a sheep looking at God as his shepherd. And he's writing to people that you can trust God. He's trusting the shepherd. A strange thing about calling himself a sheep. This was just such a tremendous man. It achieved so much. And yet he calls himself a sheep. It seems strange. In the UK or in England, our, our national emblem is a lion. Lions, uh, our national squirrel, our national animal is a squirrel uh, by reality. But we call it the lion. That's our emblem. It's bold, it's strong, it has all of these characteristics. Russia, it's the bear. And in the God-blessed U.S. of A., my favorite country in the world, it's a soaring eagle. These are majestic, strong, independent creatures. And yet David likens himself to a sheep. And forgive me if you uh, hold sheep in high regard, but it's true that they are defenseless, they're dependent, and they're pretty dumb. They are not in a top 10 list of the most intelligent animals. But if we're honest with ourselves, when we're faced with the great issues of life, when we're faced with the death of a loved one, when we're faced with tragedy, at times we ourselves feel defenseless, dependent, and somewhat ignorant. So David is likening himself to a sheep. And in doing that, and in calling the Lord his shepherd, he's saying that every area, every circumstance, every activity is under the shepherd's protection, direction, and control. He knows, having been a shepherd himself, that the shepherd has the sheep's best interests at heart. He knows himself, having lost children, having sinned tremendously, Able in the lateness of life to reflect back on the goodness of God and accept the hardships, the hurts, the disappointments. I've heard that life, the hardships and disappointments being described to a cake. Like there's many ingredients that go into a delicious cake. But if you were to taste one of those ingredients just by itself, it might taste unpleasant. But David knows this. He knows in the, the length of his life, all of the things that he has been through, although some things have been bitter, God uses it for good. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We move into verse 2. Another way of saying I shall not want is he gives me all I need. So Lord is my shepherd, he gives me all I need. Let's see what we need. It says in verse 2, uh, we need rest and we need refreshment. Verse 2 says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And beginning of verse 3 says, he restores my soul. Uh, Before a shepherd was about to lead the sheep on a journey, he knew that they needed to rest. Now the sheep don't know what's going on in the shepherd's mind. They don't know they're about to go on a journey. And in order to get the sheep to rest, he needs to remove their anxiety. Sheep are 
anxious animals. Just the noise of a dog or a child can make sheep run back and forth, back and forth, wearing themselves out. So a shepherd about to take the sheep on a journey, uh, he needs to get them to rest. And he knows, David himself, that a hungry sheep cannot rest. And so he's saying the shepherd leads the sheep to green pastures. That means he wants the sheep to eat their full so they can be more open to resting. When it says he makes me lie down, he himself knew that even if some sheep were full and you've led them into green pastures, you're about to lead them on a journey, you need them to fully rest. There are still some that are nervous. They're making others nervous. And the shepherd's job, he walks among the flock one by one by one, taking each sheep and making it lie down. The Lord gives us all we need, which is rest. God, which David knew, not only gives us physical rest, he gives us spiritual rest. This side of the resurrection, if we trust Christ, the Bible says that we are at peace with God. When God looks at us, he sees Christ's perfection. No longer have to worry about what the future holds. And when you just have one person to please, one master to serve, life just becomes a lot more peaceful. And David here is saying, uh, living by faith or trusting the shepherd, as he himself knows, trusting God, it gives rest. Continuing, it says, after that, he leads me beside still waters. So God gives us all we need. He gives us rest. He gives us refreshment. Fascinating fact as I was doing some research for this. Sheep have a deathly fear of moving water. It's like, I don't like spiders. Sheep do not like moving water. Imagine if a sheep were to fall into a river or a stream rapidly moving. They don't have the best legs to be swimming with. Their uh, wool gets saturated and waterlogged, and they typically drown. So they have this inherent fear of moving water. Even after a baking hot day in the Middle East, and there is a running bit of water, and it is cool, and it is clear, and they want refreshment, they need refreshment, they will not approach that running water. Their perception of danger keeps them from having refreshment. David himself, as he reflects back when he looked after his father's sheep, knows that a good shepherd makes a dam. So another way of translating this is, he leads me beside stilled waters. So the shepherd will take some boulders, he will dam up an area of water. So outside the boulders, it's a fast-moving bit of water, but then there's still water. And then standing by the still water, the sheep are able to get their drink. So what the sheep uh, interpret as danger, David knows that the reality is the shepherd sometimes inviting us to refreshment, physical and also spiritual. Then moving to the end of the sentence, which is the beginning of verse 3, then says, he restores my soul. Now, lots of people know different facts about sheep. One of the most commonly known facts about sheep is they like to get lost. They just love it. The one minute they're interested in a clump of grass, eating it. Oh, another clump of grass, start eating that. 
another clump of grass, start eating that, another clump of grass, start eating that. Before they know it, they look up, they look around, and they've stranded themselves from the rest of the flock. They've stranded themselves from the shepherd. And it's not too bad during the daytime, but at nighttime, it can be deadly. One, they can fall, typically off a cliff or into a thicket. Secondly, predators come out at night. Two top predators for sheep in those times, mountain lions and wolves. So suddenly, just this innocuous little bit of wandering, the sheep finds itself in terrible danger. But David, having been a shepherd, he knows the drill. Each night as dusk falls, you count up the sheep. The shepherd would notice one missing. What they'd do is they'd light the lantern, they'd retrace their steps, walking along, calling out for the sheep. As the shepherd's walking along, he's walking by faith a little. It's a lamp, and it lights like three feet in front of him. He's walking along, retracing his steps, calling out the sheep's name. And he'll wait to hear that bleat, that panicked bleat of a sheep that thinks it's in desperate danger. And when he hears the bleat, the shepherd pursues him, picks up the sheep, puts the sheep on his shoulders, his legs kind of either side, holding the lantern. I'm not sure if the shepherd would be left or right-handed. But he picks up the sheep holds it tight, and walks back to the flock. He restores the sheep to the flock. He restores the sheep to the shepherd's care. This is what David meant when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. It continues, not only does he give rest and refreshment, he restores my soul. Jesus taught on this, taught on the parable of the lost sheep and how the shepherd would leave the 99 to find the one. That is a god who deeply values each individual. It's the God who David knew personally, a personal God who wants a relationship with us individually. What he wanted his readers to know was that when we're wandering and when we suddenly find ourselves lost, he wants us to know that God is searching for us. He calls out our name. He does whatever it takes. He waits for our cry for help. And as soon as we invite him with our cry for help, he does whatever it takes and rescues us, carries us and restores us. He brings us home. Continuing on in verse 3, it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The NIV translates this as, He leads me in right paths. Cast your mind back 3,000 years ago. Uh, In the Near East, there were many paths etched into the landscape. Typically, three types of path. They could be bracketed into three types. One is just a natural, temporary path. Maybe someone did one journey or some wind has blown a clearing. It looks like it's going to go somewhere, but it actually goes nowhere. Second type of path, one deliberately made deliberately made by robbers or muggers or thieves. And they would etch this path that when it went round a corner, the shepherd leading the sheep would not know danger was just lurking round. And then they would steal the sheep or steal the shepherd's money. And the third type of path is actually a right path. It goes from A 
to be. It's been walked by many people, and when you get on that path, you know where it's going to end. Now, a competent, experienced shepherd knows the difference between different types of paths. If he has walked the area a lot, he will know exactly what is the right path. And David is saying, God leads you on the right path. Now, God is saying, uh, David is saying that God not only leads him on the right path like a shepherd does for the sheep, but he leads us to a right life. It's not so much the destination that matters, but the being. He leads us on the right life to mold us into a mature and godly character. And throughout this psalm, you'll see it's, he leads me. Like this direction comes from a personal relationship. The shepherd leads, the sheep closely follow. God never gave David a map. Here's a road map, just get on with it. And then touch base later on in life. It's a close relationship. In fact, there was a shepherd in Israel that had an interesting way of feeding his sheep, uh, of getting them to follow him, rather. Take a succulent fruit from a branch of a tree, and he would have it behind him, almost if you were pretending you had a bunny rabbit's tail. And he would have this succulent piece of fruit behind him, and the sheep, eager for some sustenance, eager for some sweetness, eager for some nourishment, would crowd around the shepherd's heels. They'd gather around, And he would just walk slowly forwards until the flock were following him. So what he was doing was he was leading them while he fed them. And he fed them while he was leading them. God feeds us through his word. God feeds us uh, through his word in scripture. God feeds us through his word, whether you hear it prophetically or in community. David is reflecting that God uh, directed him along. And fed him every step of the way. Verse 4. Probably the most famous one. I chose the ESV translation uh, because I much more appreciate this. Although it's apparently less accurate than the NIV uh, on this verse. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, The Hebrew, Hebrew is not an exact language. Greek is very exact. So when things are written in the New Testament, you can really rely on them. There's a little bit of artistic uh, license, well within the realms of keeping Scripture accurate. But this can be translated uh, deathly shadows or valley of deep darkness, a few different variants. But in relation to a shepherd leading the sheep, a valley of deep darkness makes much more sense. David would remember leading his sheep through a valley. And when we think of valleys, for me anyway, I think of a Thomas Kincaid kind of picture. There's this nice, lovely, wide valley with green pastures and maybe some gentle sloping hills. And then this little bit of light uh, This is not what David has in mind. He probably meant a chasm, like a ravine etched into the landscape among the hills. A deep and sudden ravine where the sides are steep and jagged. The floor is narrow. And he knows that this is a dreadful place for sheep. Like there are wolves potentially waiting to pounce. 
There are serpents waiting to strike. It was terrifying for sheep. And think of verse 3 and then verse 4. It says, God leads me, or the shepherd leads me along right paths, and the right paths will sometimes look like the valley of the shadow of death. That is not meant to be a mistake. He leads us along right paths, and sometimes it's a valley of deep darkness. Uh, in the springtime, the flocks would graze in the lowlands in uh, the Near East. When the summer comes, the snow starts to melt on top of the mountains. And that is time to lead the sheep up to fresher, better pasture higher up. Typically, one of the routes to go would be through a chasm. So they've had enough sustenance and being fed. The next right path may be through a chasm, which is dreadful for sheep, but the shepherd is with them and leading every step of the way. God is doing that. And at the time, the sheep are probably thinking, if they could have higher thinking, what are you doing? But the shepherd knows exactly what he's doing. He's leading them to much more green, fertile, nourishing pasture. And David remembers how his sheep uh, follow closely at his heels. And David remembers, even as a young shepherd, as he casts his memory back all those years ago, how he was prepared to fight for those sheep's lives. Now, sheep need courage. Because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Fearing no evil is another way of saying having courage. Now, sheep absolutely need courage, but not courage in themselves. Imagine a sheep who's been doing training for a period of time. It's very aggressive. He sees a pack of wolves, summons up all of this courage, goes sprinting at the wolves. I think we know how it ends. The wolves aren't going to be scared. They're going to first think, what is going on? And then think, ah, Grubhub. No, a sheep does not need courage in themselves. A sheep needs courage in the shepherd. David knows that when he was a fugitive and he was running for his life, that he could trust in God. So you fear no evil. It recalls like a sheep, when they're uh, eating, they may hear the growl of a mountain lion. The sheep could look up. They see their shepherd nearby. They take courage in the shepherd and go back to grazing. See, courage or trust in the shepherd. That's what sheep need. This is what each of us needs. As we are facing danger, it takes a whole lot more courage for us to trust in God, continue what we're doing. He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Important thing I want you to notice, the first three verses, David is speaking about God about the king of the universe, his shepherd. It's almost like it's three verses of praise. Verses 4 to 6, continuing the shepherd-sheep analogy. He's speaking to God. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's much more of a prayer. When we go through life's darkest valleys, as brutal as they are, we start speaking to God a whole lot more directly. That's why there's a phrase, there's no atheists in foxholes. 
It's true of our Christian walk as well. In some of the darkest moments where it seems so confusing and dreadful, we'll speak to God more directly. That's exactly what he wants us to do. He wants us to pursue his presence. If you're a parent uh, of a young child, at some point when you're at the swings, pushing your child or watching some other child be pushed on the swings, you will see an inevitable thing happening. A child in full of enjoyment and excitement will run either in front of one of the swings or behind one of the swings, and they will get knocked over. Now, as a parent, all the child needs to know is that the child can trust the parent, that we will run over and pick up the child and hold them and make them feel better and comfort them. The child does not need to know why it happened or what happened. Maybe later on that will be helpful as a parent to share, but the child needs to be held. The same, that's what God wants us to do. He's not quick to give us the what or the why. He wants us to come to him, to trust him and to be held by him, to speak to him directly, to pursue his presence, because that's so much better for us. It continues, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The sheep are comforted. Another word for comfort, it literally means with strength. The sheep are comforted by the shepherd's power. And the shepherd's power, as David's saying here, is the rod and the staff. Now, a rod was a uh, wooden club about two feet long taken from a knot of a tree, so it was more rounded at one end. And the shepherd would use this to defend the sheep. In the end of the head, he would pound in sometimes bits of glass, sometimes bits of stone, sometimes bits of metal. And it was to defend the flock against attacking animals. If a wolf came in close, you could crack it on the head. If you see something from a distance, he could throw it like a missile. Think of Saul's hammer, but it doesn't come back. And we know David was a good shot in how he took down Goliath. So the sheep can take comfort in the shepherd's power, the rod. Equally, it then says the staff. Another way of saying this would be the crook. That's the more common kind of little Bo Peep picture of the staff. It's kind of like this long piece of wood and then a round hook on the top. The hook was really useful for pulling back wandering sheep. Hook was really useful for pulling back branches or thickets where a sheep was tangled up. It's also useful for hooking sheep's legs out of holes. The other end of the shepherd's staff, on one side there's the hook, the other side there's a stick. And the stick is useful for prodding sheep that are prone to be completely distracted and get left behind. So the shepherd, uh, the rod and the staff, it's the strength of the shepherd comforts David. He knows that God uses his power to defend people. The shepherd uses his power to defend the sheep. The sheep have no fear of the shepherd. We have no fear of God, but the enemies of the sheep or the shepherd should rightly fear the rod and the staff. It is not for their comfort. Continuing as David's praying to God. 
This is where there's two typical translations. One, because it says the word table. It can be, this is a host uh, in bringing a guest in. That is a really good translation. I'm going to go with it still being the sheep and the shepherd in relation to some research I did on it being a, a shepherd 3,000 years ago, which was influenced by a seminary professor for me. And it keeps the theme through all six verses of how a sheep can trust the shepherd. It says, you prepare a table uh, before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You prepare a table. This would be, for a sheep, new pasture. Whenever there is new pasture, they may have got through the darkest valley, the chasm. The main danger then in flat green pasture was vipers. Vipers' bites were not fatal. But if a sheep was a hungry sheep was biting near a viper's nest, the viper could bite the sheep on the nose and cause an allergic reaction, have breathing difficulties. Sheep are also well known for having heart attacks at the slightest thing. So a shepherd would use oil in two ways. Now, this isn't nice kind of aromatherapy oil. This is thick, greasy, pungent oil. Think Harley Davidson's aftershave. Um, So oil was used to protect sheep. One, in this green pasture, the shepherd would look for viper's holes before letting the sheep be there. And he'd lower the grass around the viper's holes so it was clearly visible. Taking a gourd from his hip, he would pour the oil around the nest hole. Now, vipers, they don't necessarily want to attack sheep. But if a sheep is biting around its nest, they will attack. And with this oil, thick oil, gloopy oil, all around the entrance to the nest, the vipers have a very hard time slippering along on their smooth underbelly and getting enough grip to strike. Secondly, the shepherd would put this pungent oil on the sheep's head. Fascinating fact I found out yesterday. The top five senses of smell amongst animals, a bear, a rat, a bloodhound, a shark, and a snake. Snakes have an acutely sensitive sense of smell. They smell with their tongue. And so this pungent oil will act as a legitimate repellent. So sheep could literally graze in the presence of their enemies. Does that make sense? It says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And then it says, my cup overflows. So in verse 4, we have seen that the shepherd has this might and this power. And as we move into verse 5, we're going to have this illustration of a tender loving kindness of the shepherd. A tender loving kindness that God, uh, David knew God was like. So to give and refresh sheep, there would be cisterns out in the valley. These cisterns, these wells, were about 100 feet deep or more. Around this stone well, there would be stone cups, a bit like drinking troughs. The shepherd had to do was on a piece of rope, have a leather uh, satchel kind of thing at the bottom that could take three quarters of a gallon. He'd lower this satchel all the way down into the bottom of the well. Fill up with water hand by hand. Now, if you've ever done kettlebell, you know this is painful. Hand by hand, a hundred feet or so, he's lifting the water up. The shepherd gets the water, starts filling the cups, the stone cups around the well. 
Now, a shepherd that really cares for the sheep will fill these cups to overflowing. They know that sheep do not like water, and so they want the sheep to drink with ease. This showed real tender kindness. No one saw this happening. But if you had 50 sheep, it would take over two hours to keep the cups at overflow level. And that's heavy, hard work. With a hired hand, no one's looking. They would only fill it up till it was full and maybe it was gone. So what David is saying here is he will fear no evil because God is so powerful. Like you you can literally eat in the presence of your enemies. And yet at the same time, my cup overflows. There's this tender, hidden, sacrificial, loving kindness that God shows to each one of us. It says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is able to say surely because of all of his past events. He knows that God has used it for good to lead him on that right path and make him into that mature, godly disciple. He's seen all of God's faithfulness in the past, even when it looked bleak, and so he has this certain hope for the future. The other part of surely is God is incredibly self-obligated. It is impossible for God not to be good. It is impossible for God not to be merciful. So God's goodness is it's like kind of baking that cake. All of life's events will work to the good of those that love God. And the mercy, that's grace. Grace is where God takes the initiative. That's forgiveness. Think about an overflowing cup. Think how much forgiveness we have in Christ. So David can say with great certainty, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, I always used to think this meant just heaven. It doesn't. It means God's presence. The presence, being in God's presence, a whole lot more than it means the place. So in uh, Psalm 27, David's written this one. He says he wants to be in God's temple because it's a place of God's presence. And he uses exactly the same language here. So David is saying he will be in God's presence forever. Now, certainly, we don't know much about heaven, but what we can be certain of is it's where Christ's presence is in its fullness. And so as a shepherd, David is probably imagining this shepherd will carry the sheep into eternity with him. It's that loving shepherd. It's not a shepherd that when the sheep dies, he just kind of throws it in a ditch. So David's saying he wants God's presence all the days of his life from now and into eternity. See, again, it ends with the phrase, the Lord. This psalm begins with Yahweh, the Lord, and it ends with Yahweh, the Lord. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the King of the universe. Uh, We get more of a glimpse of this through Revelation, which John saw on the Isle of Patmos. Revelation 1, this is how God describes himself, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
verses 17 and 18, John writes this. He says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. As God's sheep, we can trust God the shepherd with our lives. He even takes away the sting of death. No matter what situation we have, in this psalm, David is saying, God is good and faithful. He will meet all our needs, refreshment, rest, protection. He will lead us safely all the way home. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I'm going to pray in relation to this psalm. I'm then going to reread it once and then set up uh, the prayer response time. So you bow your heads. Father God, thank you that in, in spite of all of his majesty and experience that David knew compared to you, he was still a sheep. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you that we can trust you in the darkest valleys. Thank you that you lead us to green pastures. Thank you that you've still waters for us. Father, you know what's going on in each person's life here. You know the circumstances and the situations we face. Increase our trust in you. Help us to let go and let you take over. In Jesus' name. I'm going to read the psalm one last time, and then... I'm going to say amen. When I say amen, that's your opportunity to stand. We're going to close out with one song. You'll see people standing at the front. We would love to pray for you. Whether you have good news, whether you have a prayer request, a praise, whether it's for you or someone else, we have people here who would love to pray for you. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Will you please stand?